You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. So, Andre, we've already done the Welcome Back podcast. Yes. So I don't want to really welcome you back again because cool. you're, you're here. Andre, welcome back. Oh, thank you. It was so nice to be away for so long. You know. Are you relaxed? Yep. You know what? I think for the first time in two years, I'm fully relaxed because as great and exciting as it is to get married and go on a short honeymoon, it is exhausting to, to do that stuff. So... Hooray to being able to disappear from your life for a month. I know that you were uh, jealous that I was interviewing other people, so now you're just interviewing I wasn't yourself. wasn't jealous. You... I was feeling left out. So now you're just interviewing yourself. Well, what else is new? Okay. So um, <laughs> I, I guess now that people know that you're back, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we should, and we've, we've updated people on, you know, what's going on in Ontario, what's going on, you know, elsewhere. Because we, we had done. opinions and we, we had sure opinions. didn't hold back. Yeah, when we're not together for two months, we suddenly have opinions again, yeah. and we uh, we have to share them with each other. Yeah. So I guess the question is, where the F were you? Um, so I was a little bit all over Europe. Uh, I, I spent a day in London, England, not London, Ontario. Uh, I spent a few days in Warsaw, and then I flew into Lyon, and then I went to Lausanne in Switzerland. But um, the main focus of the trip was sort of relaxing, doing tourist stuff, and checking out the cities. But I did get a chance to check out several wineries in France. Several? Yes, I got to take three days worth of visiting wineries. You were away for for two or three weeks? and two weeks, yeah. Okay, and then you were also in Poland, Switzerland, Yep. Belgium? No, uh, Belgium was just a it was just a layover. So, at one but, point, but the Belgian air, the Belgian airport, the the airport in Brussels is pretty great if you need your Belgian chocolate fix. I mean, obviously. So, so Morgan was telling me she saw a picture of you with a with a, a like a ball of Comté or something like that. Ah, uh, okay, no, no, no. It was um, so Comté is my favorite cheese, and it usually goes for about five six bucks for a hundred grams in Canada. Okay, uh, I was in the hell. De Paul Bocuse, which is sort of like the Lyon equivalent of um, the St. Lawrence Market. And there was a cheese shop that had Conte for one and a half euros for 100 grams. So a 200 gram piece of it was three euros, which works out to about five bucks Canadian. Oh, okay. And I took this brick of cheese out that in Canada would be like a 12 to $15 piece of cheese. And I just started eating it like a chocolate bar. It was glorious. I mean, I mean, at some point you told me you were in the city of chocolate. You sent out a, yep. uh, some sort of um, uh, pole, milk, or dark chocolate. Yeah. I think uh, Eric and I vo- both voted for uh, dark chocolate, and yeah, you said wrong. Yeah, you guys are both monsters. Why? It's just There's just something about milk chocolate. It's it's that balance and texture. But you know what? I think it may come down to sort of how we feel about, about Chardonnay, right? Because the thing about milk chocolate is you usually get that like creaminess and it kind of opens up on the on the back of the tongue where dark chocolate's a little bit more mm, nuanced and spicy and you get a little bit more fruit flavors with it. But, I mean, it, the texture generally doesn't linger the way it does and it doesn't invade your mouth the way the texture of a, a good milk chocolate does. Uh, you know, I've always, I've always been a fan of milk chocolate and just as I got older, um, I, I've liked uh, dark chocolate more. Yep. And maybe maybe it's as like people tell me, um, you know, as you get older, uh, you'll start liking whiskey. 
So <laughs> I'm wait, I guess I'm still waiting to grow up that way. So maybe well, you the started. You started. There's the Irish whiskey that yeah, you like. Yeah, the Dead Rabbit is always a, a is a, is not always, but it's the first one I've really gone. Holy, I really yeah, yeah, like yeah. that one. So all right, so let's start from the beginning. You obviously left Toronto, and it was was okay weather wise. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I think the coldest day we saw was five degrees Celsius. The coldest we saw was just below zero when we had to cross the Alps to go from. Uh, Burgundy to Switzerland, and you did that on donkey. I hear. Uh, no, actually, this is actually kind of a kind of a fun story because the last time I went to Europe, the last time I went to Europe, the last time I went to France, um, the plan was, and I road tripped from Paris to Saint Emilion to Lyon and back to Paris. It's the time that I fell in love with with Lyon. The car they gave me was a Ford Ka. Hang on, I'll give everyone a second to go Google what that is. It's spelled K A. <laughs> So the French people actually call that car the Ford Kaka. It could barely do the highway speeds, and it felt unsafe for most of the trip that we were there. But I was five years younger, like whatever. And I'm a pretty good driver. I like being in. I like being in cars, like running nice here. So this time, so what you're what you're saying is that the donkey would have been safer. The donkey would have been safer on that trip. This yeah. time, uh, so if you're traveling to Switzerland, and this is kind of a travel tip trip, travel tip to people. If you have a French car, if you rented a car in France, you'll have to drop about 50 bucks Canadian to use the highways. But at the rental place, they asked me where I was going. I had a great conversation with the guys. They're just like, oh, we have one vehicle in the fleet that um, is actually from Switzerland, so you won't need to pay to use the highways. Cost me a little bit for the upgrade, but it was a Volkswagen Tiguan, which in Ontario would be a fairly small SUV. But in France, it was a nightmare to park. It was a pain in the ass to drive around. But oh boy, did I feel safe. Yeah, and I've never used like the seat warm. Everything about that car was just fantastic. Tip. All right, so you you end up in where did you start with? Okay, so you. So we spent a day in, in London, and I know we, we want to get to the wine part of the trip. No, 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 just, no, no. I don't know where you've been. For God's sakes, that's what everybody's you know everybody's like. Well, where's Andre? And I'm like, uh, where's Waldo? Okay, uh, that's so, all I know. So, so the day, you weren't the, wearing your hat in I any know, of the pictures, right? Uh, the day in London was re- was really cool because it was just it was visiting a friend of mine who's been a, a pen pal for years and people still have pen pals. Yeah, this is from she's been my pen pal since like two thousand three. Do you still write letters? Ah, uh, no, we do WhatsApp now. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but we were sitting at so Terminal Five at Heathrow is the British Airways terminal. Yep. If you and you and I have both seen a lot of airports with our, our wine travel. If you want to see a really nice airport terminal. Terminal 5 at Heathrow is two thumbs up for me. I, w- I went through Heathrow once. Uh, they have got f- some good medication because I had a cold. It's amazing, how, it's, it's amazing how great that European medication is. Yeah. I, I got a cold in, in France, too. We can talk about that in yeah. a second. But I was sitting at the Fortnum and Mason kiosk that they have. It's so cool, and it's such a great idea where you can order, like, a lunch, and they give it to you in a lunch bag. And they do it duty-free so you can bring it on the plane. Oh, nice. So instead of eating airplane food you get to bring a fortnum and mason like it's like uh salmon and lox and they have a few different different options that's the one that sort of jumped out to me and i thought about thought about buying it myself and then you get a little lunch bag that you get to keep that's branded fortnum and mason's if you've never heard of fortnum and, and mason's it's a brand that uh, i'm looking around the way i didn't get it yeah. i didn't get it oh uh I, I bought a few preserves from there, like their jams are great. I bought some Earl Grey tea while I was there, but it's just a really cool shop with some really great products. It's making me look forward to having like Italy open up in Ontario and you know place like Pusateri's, but their Fortnum and Mason branded stuff is really good. They have Fortnum and Mason champagne. Um, 
at the kiosk, they had a really good wine list. And I got really, really excited because their house, Fortnum and Mason Beaujolais, is made by Dominique Piron. Oh, nice. Which is a winery that's getting a lot of love from us in this podcast yeah, lately. Yeah. And a lot of love from you with your videos. But they also had the Thomas Bachelder Oregon Chardonnay at the kiosk, at the Fortnum and Mason kiosk in Heathrow Terminal 5. Interesting. And it was cool to talk to the people and be like, just be like, I, I know that guy. And it's just like, okay, whatever. What do you want to order? Yeah, who cares about you? <laughs> so, all right. So then from, uh, from England, you went on to... Warsaw. Okay. I did not drink... Actually, you know what? I was going to say I did not drink a lot of wine in Warsaw, but that's a lie. We, drink, we drank wine with almost every meal. Warsaw is an amazing city. And I always get a little anxious when I'm traveling somewhere where I don't speak the language. I do not speak Polish. My barely, wife does you not barely speak, speak English well, so yeah, but I seem to manage okay in, in French a little bit. But like, you're in a country, an Eastern European country, that they speak a completely different language than what you're used to. Mm. Uh, but everyone there speaks a little bit of English, so you'll do fine at the cafes and the part restaurants. About Europe, eh? Like, they, yeah, they all know different languages. Yeah, but I, I find if, if you're doing a side by side comparison in a place like Lyon, which is not like the tourist hotbed that Paris is. Mm-hmm. Fewer people speak even passable English, where in Warsaw, a lot of people spoke English. Okay. So we had no issues at, at restaurants, at cafes, at shops when we were in and, and around. Did you, did you do the World War II tour? Two, 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 um, two, two, we two? actually went to a museum for the Warsaw Uprising. Yep. Um, a really horrible, horrible piece of history yep. where the people of Warsaw essentially got screwed over by their Russian allies, by their British allies tried to fight back against uh, Nazi Germany. Yeah. And um, Pol- Poland's history is really, really, really tragic. Really, um, yeah. And really it's, but the thing that's really amazing about being at a museum like that is when you're in a city like Warsaw and you see how they've rebuilt since World War II, because the whole city's essentially new. The Nazis raised Warsaw right to the ground. Yeah. Um, it, it just there's a real silver lining to how modern how great that city is and just um, the Polish people just seem to carry themselves with a certain amount of, of, of dignity and it was interesting to see um, you know I, I didn't really know what to expect when we went there because um, you picture Eastern Europe in your head and I know this is gonna sound like I'm, I'm I'm just a little bit ignorant for people who are from there, which is why I'm hesitant to saying, so I'm just going to sort of put it out there. You kind of have a picture in your mind of what Eastern Europe is. You take a look at what the exchange rate is. So if you haven't got Poland on your list as a tourism destination, you should, because your dollar will go a little bit farther than it does in, in Canada. But Poland is a modern, bustling city with fantastic public transit, and their culinary scene is really starting to take off. We ate at a restaurant called Senses where we did a 12-course tasting menu, uh, one Michelin star restaurant, and it was the perfect blend of very modern molecular gastronomy mixed with very traditional Polish flavors. Uh, we had a dumpling course that meshed that idea of, of Poland with China, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, virtually every culture on the planet has dumplings but they're just served a different way so think of a pierogi making love with your favorite dim sum and that's what we got to experience i'm just doing the imagining part and i just can't get the anyway i know but i mean it's it's you're, you're taking something delicious and wrapping it in which dough. is the male which is the female i'm not really <laughs> sure i guess I'm trying to... 
Uh, the wine list. Of the, I, I can't say enough good things about Census. The meal was very expensive, yep. but very worthwhile. So, all right. So, moving on from there, you're uh, and we're we're just uh, enjoying some wine here tonight because yes. this really is just a, a just a some no. Guys, it's a good guys catch, guys catch up, up, and it's nice to do it on tape. So, um, uh, so you're in. Uh, so, let's leave Poland. Yeah, we flew from Poland to Lyon. Okay, so Lyon. Now, what's what's the city of chocolate? Where is that? That's uh, the city of chocolate is a facility owned by Valrona, which is in uh, Tain L'Armitage. Oh, okay. Which so, is, I, which yeah. is south of Lyon. We're a little ahead oh, okay, of ourselves. Right. But we spent New Year's in Lyon with uh, one of my best buddies and, and groomsmen. But I can't say enough good things about Lyon because Lyon has the cultural heritage of Paris. It has museums. It has the old town. It has the old churches. So it's it's everything that's great about Paris without the Parisians. And if you're Parisian and listening to this, you know what I'm talking about, even if it hurts to hear it. All right. So is that like uh, the old joke about what's wrong with Italy? You the know, Italians. But I mean, it's sort of like if, if, if you take a look at Paris, the way the rest of the country of France looks at Paris is the way the rest of Canada looks at Toronto. The thing is, especially as a proud Torontonian now, we're not that bad. We just got our own going on. Hi, Henry. And Henry shows up for this part of the trip. Yep. All right, so we're in Lyon, and what's what's the big draw for Lyon? I know that you, you... It's just a city I love spending time in. It's got a beautiful peninsula in the middle that feels a little Manhattan-esque. Okay. Uh, but without the huge metropolis. It's got an old city. It's got old churches. Uh, and it's just it's a really great place to eat and not spend that much money. Like, it's a little cheaper than Paris. It's just to get that French flavor. And I, I mean, I speak the language... Anya Barely. understands the language oh, better than you. Well, your name is Prue. <laughs> That's... And it was also, it was also the- just... theoretically Pincus is Polish, but I still don't speak any Polish either. So <laughs> anyway, so so we're in Lyon, and and how many days do you spend in Lyon? Do you spend most of your time we spent, there? We spent three days in Lyon. Okay, so and and one of them was New Year's Day, which. I mean, as a traveler, if you're traveling on New Year's Day, it can be a little bit tough because everything is closed. So and that's that's interesting. So we each spent the last two New Years in different places. I was in Australia mm-hmm. for New Year's last year. You're now in France. So Ooh, what are we going to do for New Year's this year? Yeah, exactly. It's your turn. Someone's got to figure out where else to go. Maybe I'll go to Buffalo. Um, so after Leon, where do you head from there? Uh, we went and spent a day in uh, Tain d'Armitage, which is a okay. uh, town south of Lyon, and it's northern part of the Rhone Valley, and it's also right next to Hermitage. So you must be tasting some great wines. I we, I, I purposely, because you, you and I both know, like, when you can I do, love Rhone Valley wines. So but I mean, here's be... the thing is, when you're planning a wine-tasting tour, you can pound them in. You, yep. can, you can do four, five, six wineries in a day if you're really, really eager to do that. I was on this trip to relax, so we visited one winery, but the thing about Tain Hermitage that was awesome was the Valrona factory. And what is that? And it's a chocolate factory. We visited the city of chocolate. Okay, so that's what they're. That's what the city of chocolate. Comes. So, did you bring chocolate home? I did bring chocolate. You're home. You're going to share some of that. I will share some of Excellent. that. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Uh, so then we're 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 moving through. Actually, I want to talk a little bit about the city of chocolate before we move oh, on. I know right. I know we're trying to not let this get this too long and rambly, but the cool thing about it, I'm a, getting tired of interviewing people. Yeah, I get that. Um, <laughs> Valrona is a company that makes really it's it's top tier mass-produced chocolate. So a lot of really great restaurants in Toronto are using Valrona chocolate in their products. 
and Anya introduced me to Valrona when she was working at the the chase. Um, but one thing that's really cool is just the whole concept of terroir that exists. Um, the whole concept of terroir that exists in all agricultural products. So Valrona, they actually own the farms, the plantations where their cocoa comes from that are all over the planet. So for them, it's about controlling the quality of the product from point of origin to manufactured product. And if you haven't had a chance to have Valrona chocolate, I highly recommend it. So I'll Can you get it in Toronto? Uh, you should be able to track it down. Hang on. Anya, yeah. where can you buy Valrona chocolate in Toronto? St. Lawrence Market? So you get Valrona chocolate at St. Lawrence Market. It is not cheap, but it is worth it. Okay. So City of Chocolate, moving on from there. Domaine Remisière. What's that? It is a Northern Rhone winery, and I went there because I was looking for... I use the Guide Hachette des Vins, which is... um, It's a very well-respected French wine-buying guide. Guillaume introduced me to it, and French people swear by it. And... um, I, I picked the winery because they had very well-reviewed Crow's Hermitage wine, which is an appellation that is affordable. Which, unlike what people might think, it is not a wine made from Crow's. It is actually made from grapes. Syrah. Yeah. Uh, but we tasted the entire portfolio at, at the winery, and the moment I put their Hermitage in my mouth, it was like my pupils dilated. It was incredibly delicious. It was... That's what she said. Yeah. It... Um, it wasn't as expensive as I thought it would be, though. I think we spent about 35 euros on the bottle. Yeah. And it's one of those wines. The cool, the cool thing about Syrah is um, I could open that wine today and not regret it. Like, the tannin's already real, really, really well integrated, soft and ready to go. But I can hold in that wine for probably 15 years, and it'll still still just be something that will be excellent. Okay, so let's... Um... Uh, so I, I guess what I want to know is best wine of the trip, best wine you had. Um, I, can actually, I can actually answer that question. Do you want me to do a red and a white? No. <sighs> <laughs> I actually want best wine of the trip. What is your best wine that you had on that trip? I can't pick one. I'm doing a red and white. Uh, the best red I had was the 2016 Cote de Pie from Dominique Piron when I visited the next day. Now be careful there, Donald Trump, with your Cote de Pie. <laughs> uh, we actually had a chance to visit a really, really small producer that made a really, really big impression on me, and that was um, Christian Bergeret et Fille. So Christian Bergeret and his daughter are making the wines. The daughter is Clotilde. And she has this amazing portfolio of Burgundy wines. Um, she has a, a Chassagne Montcochet, which is less than 20 euros a bottle. So you were obviously in Burgundy as well. I was in Burgundy okay. eventually. He's only yeah. best wine of the trips. So we're fast forwarding I'm just, a Yeah, bit. I'm just fast forwarding. Uh, but the Chassagne Montcochet was, um, it had this, this depth and complexity, great use of oak, uh, price to value, and it's another one of those things where, like, I'm really glad that you gave me that piece of advice about travel is when you're with the winemaker, make sure you really enjoy the wine because it's always 200% more. And 200%. that's it. But here's the thing is, I know for a fact that I enjoyed those wines 400% more yep. with, with this woman. And when she showed us her wines and I asked her about the prices because the, the price to value did not make sense. These are some of the best bottles of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir I've ever tasted on the planet. 
And I was just like, you're working with really great Appalachians. And she was saying her Chassang Montrachet plot is um, 200 meters away from Batag Montrachet, which is one of the more prestigious Appalachians in, in Burgundy. And it's just like, why aren't you selling your wines for more money? Your quality is, is clearly there. And I do understand that you need to have time to establish a brand and blah, blah, blah. But she just looked at us and was straight up without skipping a beat. She's like, I, I don't need a fancy car. I, I don't need anything else. My only vice in life is my animals. And then she listed off all the pets that she has from like ducks, chickens, mm. dogs, cats, horses. And she's just like a really down to earth person, which is not what I was expecting from Burgundy because I don't drink a lot of Burgundy in this house because it is so. C'est très cher. C'est très cher. C'est trop cher. Yeah. And her wines were just really, really accessible. Like, I, I, I used the Guy d'Achette to find some affordable producers in Burgundy, and I didn't know what I was going to find. I knew it was a crapshoot that I might find some stuff where it's just like, oh, okay, it's good for the price. I'll find something nice to bring home or something nice to drink in France. But the producers that I visited, like, I, I found some real gems in, in Burgundy, and I'm going to do my best to find some people to bring them here. Laurent and Karen Boussy was the other producer I visited in, in Burgundy, just making exceptional stuff, no more expensive than 30 euros a bottle. So how many wineries did you visit in total? Uh, seven. Seven. Favorite yeah. winery? Who? Okay. Now you can't pick two. No, no, no. Seven. No, no. I, I know. I know what my favorite my favorite winery is. I just want to make sure I say the the name correctly. I can't remember if it's Chateau or Domaine. Yes, Chateau so. Tivin, which is a, a producer in Beaujolais on Côte de Bruy. Okay. So when you drive into the winery, Côte de Bruy is on the side of the mountain in Bruy. And yeah, we just we, we we did this moment where like we were we were kind of driving up a hill. And we took a left-hand turn, and the whole thing just opens up, and you look down at vineyards. I had to pull the car over to take some photos. I stopped traffic. It, I mean, this is, this is the best part about being in rural France was I had a few people slow down to see what we were doing, but they weren't upset that I had stopped traffic. They were checking to make sure that we were okay, and when they saw the camera, it was sort of like the nod and the wave, and they kept going when they realized that I was taking pictures of this. The the Côte de Bruy appellation, even if you aren't in love with this appellation in Beaujolais, is worth visiting. It sure. is the one of the most beautiful places on the planet I have ever seen that grows wine. So it, it sounds very similar to um, my, my trip to New Zealand when we were on the South Island. And there's this coastal highway that you're driving down. And then at one point, you ter- make this curve. And all you get in front of you is this gorgeous blue lake in a in a color of blue that you've never seen before in your entire life. And you literally stop the car. And people were, like, just pulling off the road just to, to take pictures of this, of this blue, which... which I tell you, it's like an aquamarine or whatever. Like, it's a well, color that you're like, there's no way. And then you drive again, and you stop again. And people just kept stopping and stopping. And like it's like almost every kilometer you'd stop again to take another picture it, of this. You know what? Yeah. It's, it's, it's 100%. And the thing is, part of, part of the charm of, of our experience in Beaujolais and the, the, the day that we spent there was um, we stopped in a, a little village. And at the time of year that we went, I mean, here's another sort of tourist pro tip is – if you're visiting France, especially rural France at that time of year, like right around Wear New pants. Year's. No, people are on vacation, so there's a good chance that stuff won't be open. When we got to Beaujolais after spending the day in the Northern Rhone, 
We couldn't find a restaurant that was open. So which which uh, this is early January, correct? Yeah, this was January third, January fourth, January fifth yeah. were the three days that we were traveling. But you need to call ahead. You need to make reservations. And same and make same sure thing. Is. Same thing in New Zealand and Australia. There was a lot of time that the. They, some wineries couldn't that, that see being, us because of the same thing. And that's it, though. The, the, the thing is, I, I think it really shows that there's something wrong with our culture in, in North America, where it's sort of like January 2nd hits, and fine, you're working at you're a slower pace, but you're still you're still back at work. You're, you're, yeah. you're back at work right away, where when I was trying to make appointments at some wineries, they were sort of like asking me about flexibility in my schedule or anything, which, by the way, I would have been 100% happy to indulge and, and work with their schedule, but I only had a few days there. But the people who took the time to see us, I am so grateful for because um, just seeing how slow paced the like like the the quality of life was there around that time of year, I really think North Americans could learn a few things from it. I do believe that's true. Yeah, yeah, I learned the same thing on my trips last year. Um, so should we wrap this up, or uh, you, you know what? I want, I want to give give one last thing. Some of our favorite meals that we had in. Oh, France. that's what I was going to say. I was going to say your favorite dish, the favorite thing that you Ooh. ate while you were away. I can't say that favorite can't, thing. I can't say favorite thing. Okay, because no chocolate, no cheese. Okay, okay. so you got to take. The, I'm going to take those off the table. <laughs> but your favorite dish that you had. There's got to be something that made you oh, go the steak mm-hmm. in Poland. That was it. We, a steak. A steak is what you go with. A steak is the thing that you say. Oh, that's no, what no, I I need to have. So Anya's behind me talking about. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do. Three, As a chef, maybe I should have her on. And I'm have gonna her I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this in three parts, and I'll try to make it quick. Okay, we ate at a restaurant called Butchery and Wine in Warsaw, where you walk in. They have 28 day dry aged Polish beef, where you pick the steak you want off a blackboard, and it's you pay by size. And once the steak you pick is picked, they cross it off the blackboard. We got a 900-gram like Chateaubriand. Uh, the meal was fantastic. Steak was cooked perfect. Favorite meal we had was at a restaurant called Senses. I think I already mentioned. Yep. It was a 12-course tasting menu. Uh, Michelin star restaurant. And if you ever get a chance to go to Warsaw, definitely check this restaurant out. Uh, but my favorite meals, just in terms of atmosphere and what we did... Three times we went to restaurants or cafes in France where they had no menu. Uh, one one restaurant was fortunate enough to have the menu written on the blackboard, but that day in Beaujolais, we walked into this uh, little cafe pub where, like, you can smell the, the the wisp of smoke from the owner's last cigarette that they put out before it's starting to get lunch together, filled with locals where. The menu was written on a little piece of paper that I had to take a picture of to Google Translate the recipes that I'd never heard of. Uh, and I had a braised deer and mashed potatoes for lunch, and Anya had a Beaujolais-style sausage. Was it with mashed potatoes as well? With mashed potatoes and sauce. And it was it was just sort of one of those moments where it's just like, we're, we're really doing what the locals are doing. We're here with, like, the, the guys at the table next to us. We're talking about cars, so... A couple of guys on their lunch break just, you know, shooting the shit and having a pint with, with a quick lunch and getting back to work. And, you know, we ate some really great food, but I don't think I'm ever going to forget that day in Beaujolais for the rest of my life. All right, and finally, most memorable moment of the trip. There's got to be one that just makes you go, yeah, I'm really glad I came. Uh, Anya and I sitting in the hot springs in Switzerland where... Uh, thermal heated hot springs. Switzerland is expensive as f***. And I know we try not to swear as much on this podcast, and that's going to be bleeped, but 
if you ever don't go to Switzerland on a budget, it doesn't exist. But we just we had a day where we were sitting in the hot springs with my my friend, his uh, girlfriend, and their child, um, and just like in the warmth, warm, naturally heated water, in pure relaxation. And you and I, we work really hard all the time. You and I work really hard all the time in in everything that we're working on. And just that moment of pure relaxation where there was nothing else in my, on my mind except that I was in Switzerland with my wife and one of my best friends and sitting in hot water. Well, Andre, you're always in hot water, but that's another story. <laughs> you want to wrap it up? It's been a long time since you've done it. Okay. You made me do it on the last one. I'm going to make you, you finally uh, finish it. Okay. <laughs> Holy crap. Can you remember? I'm, I'm in that moment right now in Switzerland. So just give me a second. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Please leave a review. Uh, we could use some more five-star reviews because apparently some of you don't like us very much, but that's okay. We'll no, forgive I you. I don't know why. Um, I'm Andre Pru from underwinereview.ca. Isn't there something about tell your friends? and? No, we did that. I usually tell people to do angry phone calls, but I don't think there should be angry phone calls for this one. Okay. All right. Well, then I'm Michael Pingus from michaelpinguswinereview.com. And until next time. I always like having Andre across from me at the table. I enjoy sharing wine with him. Doing, we didn't do many opinions. Likewise. No, this was this was a good like this is a good little chat. Keep an eye on underwinereview.ca because I am going to be writing about a lot of the wineries I visited. All right. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.